All right, open up to the book of Amos. All right, you may be wondering where Amos is. It's after Joel, and it's on page 770 in my Bible. And so, don't know about you. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us this morning as we enter into this time of the proclaimed word. Father God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to hear your word proclaimed, to sing songs of joy and worship to you. Father, we are not completely out of the Christmas season yet. Um, It's still fresh on many of our minds, and I just pray that in the midst of all this season, that many of us, we probably got wrapped up in the business. We probably got wrapped up in the gifts and all the other things that come along with the Christmas season. God, I just pray that we will be drawn back to the Messiah, to the one who has come to make us new, to the one who has come to restore us back to the joy of our salvation. And I pray us all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in the book of Amos, uh, we're going to be in chapter 9 at the very end of the book. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start reading that. And it says this in the word of the Lord, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted. Out of the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. So let's just go ahead and get on a level playing field right here. I think so many times we come into our churches, and what we do is we look around, and we look at the family that looks like they have it all together. We look at the family that looks like they have it going on, if you know what I'm saying. Like their family on the way to church, they didn't argue at all. Their kids acted perfect that morning. There was no arguments on the way, and everything was great, and they just walk in, and they look like they have it all together. And we look at them, and we go, man, I wish I could be like them. And not only do we do that at church, we do that in our lives, right? We do that with things like social media, because that's what everybody does with social media. We love to post the highlights of our life. We love to go on there and be like, look at my family, look at what my kids have done. And we only post the highlights while we look at our lives, and we go, Man, my life is junk compared to that. My life is broken compared to that. So just really quick, I just want to get on a level playing field. How many of you in this room are broken by raise of hand? All right, raise it higher. Like Raise it like you're trying to sneak out of class. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, go to the bathroom to go see somebody? Okay. How about this? How many of you sin? Good. Okay, we are all sinners in this room. How many of you aren't perfect? That's great. How about this? How about your family slash extended family puts the fun and dysfunctional? Okay. Yes. How many of your kids don't act perfect all the time? Okay, we're good. All right, we're good. Some of your the kids are in here this morning. They're like, how many of you feel like sometimes you're just drowning in all the things that are going on? Look around the room, y'all. Like this is. How many of y'all that some days, like, you just honestly feel like you hashtag can't even, that you hashtag you're done adulting, right? I saw that on a graphic t-shirt the other day. Well, I'm glad to know I'm not the only one. 
Because here's the thing, after the holidays, it just seems like we just kind of just go, it's over. (laughs) You just got done gathering with family that you've been avoiding for like the last year. You had to be nice to people that when you're at the grocery store, you're walking by, oh, all right, you're trying to hide from them. You had to be nice to those people. And now it's just like this collective, it's over. But the problem is, is that we act that way, but it's never really over. We walk into our churches, we walk into our homes, we walk into our workplaces, and we act like everything is fine, when in all reality, we're broken, we're a mess, and we need to be put back together. But the problem is, in our self-help, individualistic culture, we feel like we are the answer to that. We feel like we are the key to put ourselves back together, and we are the key to our own personal restoration. But that is not what this passage tells us. This passage points to a greater restoration. This passage points to the one who has come to restore us, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, and he has come to restore you. And Amos chapter 9 paints this picture of this beautiful, beautiful restoration that is going to come. But what does this even have to do with Amos? What is even going on in Amos 9? Can you play that video for me, Daniel? So I got this video from the Bible Project. If you're not familiar on YouTube, they have this. Just a really quick summarization up of what's going on in the book of Amos. Um, By the way, I don't know if y'all noticed, this screen's out, so I'm so sorry to the people on this side of the room. Come find me later, I'll show it to you, okay? But here's the thing. So in the book of Amos... There's this prophet, and he's in the southern country of Judah, and he's called to go to the northern country. And as he goes to the northern country, he goes to this place called Bethel. And in Bethel, there's these foreign temples, there's idol worship going on, there's all these things that are going on that are not pleasing the Lord. And what he does is he goes to Bethel to prophesy to the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, if you don't know Jewish history, it's okay. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to know Jewish history to be a Christian. But in Jewish history, the kingdom's divided because of idol worship, because of false worship. And Jeroboam II, who's this king who was the king of Israel at this time, was leading in this idol worship. He was one who was leading them to worship idols, to worship these false gods. So Amos goes to Bethel and he proclaims against the false gods. And this priest at Bethel goes to him and goes, hey, you need to go back to where you came from. We don't need to know your prophets here. And he goes, I'm not a prophet. I'm just a dresser of sycamore trees and I'm a shepherd. The Lord called me to come proclaim this message to you. And that message was not just what I've read you. It was that, hey, listen, God is going to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. God is going to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. Due to your false worship, due to you taking advantage of the poor, due to you uh, just using your prosperity to wield it as a sword instead of using it as grace. He tells him, listen, the enemy armies are going to come to destroy this nation. But then Amos 9, 11 through 15, it's the very end of the book, shows us that the main purpose of this destruction is restoration. The main purpose of this destruction is to restore the people of God. We see in this book that God is a God of justice and love. His passion to rescue the world from evil leads to his desire to create a world where his people can have safety and flourish. Why does he do this? Because our God is a God of covenant faithfulness. You may be wondering, what in the world is a covenant? A covenant is simply a contractual agreement between two parties. 
And what it does is it gives guardrails to relationships. Now, God has been establishing covenants all throughout the Old Testament. And going into the New Testament, we have the the covenant with Adam. We have the covenant with Noah. We have the covenant with Abraham. We have the covenant with Moses. We have the covenant with David. And then lastly, we have the new covenant that is established in Jesus Christ. Now, that covenant right there looks at all the other covenants as a sure fulfillment of it. But right here we see that God, in verse 11, in that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. He's saying, what I prophesied to David is going to come true for you. Restoration will come. Restoration will be brought back. Now you may be wondering, how in the world is this relevant to me, Tyler? Why in the world are you preaching out of Amos on the last Sunday of 2019? I've never even read Amos. This is why, because I believe that this book is a prophetic book that is relevant to us as Americans. I believe that it is relevant to us as the church in America. And this is why, because brokenness is just a theme in our society, right? Do y'all realize that most, I think it's like half of all kindergartners now, all come from a single mother household? Half of all kindergartners are raised in a single mother home, single parent home. Broken families, if you look at our culture, brokenness all around, broken political system, broken entertainment systems, and we keep running back to these empty wells of false worship. We keep worshiping these false idols. But let me ask you this, what if God is actually destroying the things that we worship to restore us back to the thing that got us here in the first place, and that's the true worship of the Lord? What if God is removing the things that got in the way of us, worshiping him in truth and gladness, and is now brought us, is trying to bring us back to joy? So many of us, we, we talk about how we want to see our culture changed, but the culture can't be changed until the church is changed. Because not only is our culture broken, brothers and sisters, the church is broken. We are inwardly focused. We're focused on our own needs Other than the way of Jesus and his desires for us and his call to us to go out and share the gospel. But here's the beautiful picture, brothers and sisters. Restoration is possible in him. Restoration is possible in him. If we want to restore this culture to Jesus Christ, we ourselves must be the restored remnant to Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. If we want to restore the culture, The church has to be restored first. If we want to see the church, if we want to see the church change, then that means that the individual members inside of it have to be changed. You have to make the decision to follow Christ. You have to be the one who is obedient. You have to be the one who will get on your knees and plead with the Lord that God will change you and that he will change his church and then through us change the culture around us. It can happen, brothers and sisters. But only if we place our hope in Jesus Christ, the Savior that Amos is pointing to, the one who will be the restored booth of David. And as believers, here's the beautiful thing. We can actually take part in this restoration. We can take part in it by sharing the gospel, by restoring the hope of the world, Jesus Christ, to people who are broken, to a culture that is broken. So I have three quick points I just want to run through this morning. 
that this theme of restoration in Amos chapter 9. The first point is this, the restoration of the throne that reigns over the nations. Let's read verse 11 and 12 again. It says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Now see, we're actually appealing back to a passage in 2 Samuel that many of you may have heard of 2 Samuel 7, 16. It says this, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Who is God speaking to right there? Anybody? David. He is speaking to David. He is establishing his covenant with David. And this covenant is saying, hey, listen, David, your throne will reign forever. From your lineage will come the king who will reign forever. But here, we see Amos saying, hey, listen, your nation's going to be destroyed. And eventually, both nations will be destroyed. The southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel would both be destroyed. But what Amos is saying is, in Amos 9 through 10, 1 through 10, he's saying, hey, listen, there's going to be destruction. But in that day, that last day, I will restore the king of Israel, the rightful king will come in and he will restore the throne of David and the nation will return to the glory of old. This king is going to come and he's going to sit on his throne, but he's not going to rule like a normal king. He's going to rule with grace. He's going to rule completely differently than any other king that we know of. And not only notice this, this is super awesome. I noticed this in studying this passage in the past few weeks. This is what he says in verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Does anybody know who Edom is? That's Esau. That's Esau. It's a restoring of a broken relationship between Jacob and Esau, this broken relationship between brothers, and now there's a remnant in Edom, and Israel will possess them. They will come together, and that word possess, and it says in the next, the next line, and all the nations who were called by my name. That call by my name heralds back to this verse in Isaiah chapter 4 that is actually marriage language. It's actually talking about this marriage intimate relationship that God desires not only with the people of Israel, but with people all around the world. One commentator simply points out that these nations that are called by my name, this is heralding back to a God who has intimate language for the nations. Why is that? God desires to dwell among his people and have a relationship with his people all around the world. That's the purpose of Christmas, brothers and sisters. That's the purpose of Christmas. That is the purpose of God coming to dwell among us coming to live among us, to be in our presence, so that we can have a relationship with him. And we, as everybody in this room, I don't think anybody in this room, you may be, but I think all of us are Gentiles in this room, we're outside of the covenant promise of Israel. We rejoice at this because this is a global prophecy. This is a global prophecy that God is not going to leave just everybody out and just has plans for Israel. He has plans for Israel, but those plans are to bless the nations through an Israelite named Jesus Christ. He is the rightful king who has come. He is the rightful king who has come to reign upon the throne through his life and through his death and through his resurrection that we can have that blessed hope that we all desire, that restoration that we all desire. This is what Romans eleven twenty five 25 through 27 says. Lest you be wise in your own sight, 
I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God is going to use Israel, even though there's a partial hardening going on, until all the Gentiles come in. Until this, these two families are married together, this Edom and Jacob, and Jacob this coming together, this restoration of relationship comes together. God has a plan to bless us through the blessings of Israel. This even goes back to Abraham. Listen to what Genesis 12, 1-3 says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse them. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This kingdom will span the nations, brothers and sisters. It will span the nations, and it will be a kingdom ran by grace, not by sheer power, but by love and mercy. This king in David's line, his name is Jesus, and he will rule the nations. Now, what's even more awesome about this is that in Acts 15, James actually quotes this. James, the brother of Jesus, quotes this passage to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of this passage. Listen to what he says. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return and I will rebuild the booth of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Even the early church knew that Jesus was the rightful king who has come to reign upon the throne. He makes this connection to point us to Jesus Christ to show us that the plan was never just for the Israelites, but for the entire world to be restored, for the brokenness that spread because of sin all over the world to be restored so that, so that God could receive much grace and much glory through the worship of the Jew in the Gentile. Why? Because simply put, our God is a God of restoration. Our God is a God of restoration. The second thing I want to point out is the restoration to the land, verse 13 and 14. In verse 13 and 14 it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. See, this is something that I think a lot of us, we don't really realize as Americans when we read about the land. This is super important to the Israelites, and it should be important to us as well, because what do we refer to the land as when Moses is trying to get there, and he doesn't get there, and Joshua goes into the blank land? What do we call it? The promised land. The promised land. The promised land is a land that is tied directly into this covenant. It's tied directly into this covenant to show us that this is appealing to a place where God will dwell among his people. And not just any place, a place on earth. It's actually a restoration to Eden. That's the kind of relationship that God desires, that face-to-face relationship. And this is a promise of a restoration to it. 
So when the hearers of this passage, the original hearers, the Israelites, when they heard this passage, they knew that this land was tied into the covenant of God. They knew that it harkened back to Abraham, and it harkened even back further to Adam. That God was going to bless them and give them this land and make them a great nation. And even though they have worldly prosperity now, that worldly prosperity is going to go away. You can't place your hope in worldly prosperity, brothers and sisters. National power can only last so long. Money will only go so far. Ultimately, everything will fall. That is not sure in the gospel. That is not Jesus Christ. Everything will fall. But here's the thing. Even though these Israelites, they knew, they heard the message of destruction, God is telling them through Amos, listen, prosperity is coming again, and it's not going to be rooted in your work. It's not going to be rooted in anything except for me. Except for me. I am enough. I am enough for you. Listen to what it says in Amos 5, 10 through 11. I'm going to contrast these two passages. This is Amos 5. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Doesn't this sound like our culture right now? We hate the truth, right? We love hashtag fake news. Okay, we love to point out and share all those articles on Facebook that there's fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news. And here's the truth, y'all. There's fake news on both sides. There's fake news all around us. And we love it. We eat it up. Some of us, we watch TV, like TVs, like TV shows on TV for like drama and all these things because we don't have enough drama in our own lives. And we love the gossip. We love what the kids call the tea. All right? We love it. We love to hear what the people are saying, and we love to spread those little rumors. We don't love the truth, and we hate the truth. And listen to what he says. All right, keep going. Therefore, because you trample on the poor. Therefore, because you trample on the poor. Do we realize that literally, I think almost every American is in the top 1% of the richest people in the world? Top 1% of richest people in the world. If you make more than, I think, like $35,000, you're in the top 1% of richest people in the world. And we live like we're completely oblivious to this. Those who trample on the poor. And you exact taxes of grain from him. You have built houses of hewn stone, and you shall not dwell in them. You have planted these pleasant vineyards, and you shall not drink the wine. He's literally saying, listen, you keep building these homes. You keep building these elaborate vineyards. But you're not going to get to enjoy them because you will be destroyed. You will be torn away from them. But then listen to what God promises in Amos 9. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. This is a prophecy from absolute destruction to no hope, to a renewed, abundant blessing and a hope that is in the risen king that is going to restore everything in Jesus Christ. This is from destruction to abundant blessing. When it says that, I will rest- that when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, he's literally saying as you're reaping, there's going to be somebody planting 
right there behind you and plowing the ground ready for new fruit. But then not even that, listen, in the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, they're going to be treading so much grapes, preparing the sweet wine that's going to be flowing from the mountains that the people who sow the seed won't even be able to keep up. These fortunes are going to be restored to the people of Israel. And now that their homes that they've built will be, they've been destroyed, they shall go in and inhabit them and rebuild these ruined cities. They shall plant these vineyards that they took so much pride in that were going to not be enjoyed. Now, in this process of restoration, they will be enjoyed. This is absolute destruction to abundant blessing. All rooted in the land that the Lord has promised them. Now, you may be wondering, how in the world does this apply to us? Just imagine this, okay? How many of y'all like the show Fixer Upper? All right, Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna, okay? A lot of you have probably seen it. If you haven't seen it, um, you can probably find reruns out of it. They actually don't have it on TV anymore. Um, me and my wife, we loved it so much that when she was 14 weeks pregnant, we decided to drive 12 hours to Mecca, I mean Magnolia, and um, go enjoy um, just time out there in Waco, Texas. And we, it, it, it was a great trip. Um, I, I literally drove out there. We stayed for like two days, then I drove back, and I was never been more tired. But we loved it because this is one thing we love about the show. They are real people. We love the realness of these people, and we get to see like a real relationship on TV for once. We get to see these. And then another thing that we love is we love to see something that was once old taken and restored back into something new and beautiful, Right? We love to see that. We love when we drive through a neighborhood and we see like this old dilapidated home that's all destroyed, that looks like nothing's lived in it for a hundred years, and then we see somebody buy that property and they restore it. We love that. So just imagine that as you're on your way to church, there's this house that you would see that's cursed and destroyed, that you'd like, man, nothing could ever live there. But then as time passes, somebody's purchased it, and you can tell that work's been done. You can tell that the restoration process has been done. And you keep driving by every day and you see a little bit of work here and there. And you keep seeing this process of restoration happen until that one day you drive by and you see a family outside. You see smiles. You see kids playing in the yard. You see a tire swing. And you see all these just joy. You see abundant joy. This is simply a picture of what the Lord is doing, brothers and sisters. That he is restoring us, that he is bringing us back into the fold. And he is going to come back and not only restore the king, but the king is going to dwell on earth. And it's going to be this picture of a new Eden, a place where God dwells with us face to face. This is what Revelation 22, 1 through 5 says. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And also on either side of the river, river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, gilding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and not will be no more. And they will need no light of lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever this is a picture of what we are all yearning for brothers and sisters we're yearning for this faith family we're yearning for the day that jesus comes back and he restores this place i think that's one of the most messed up parts of our just vision of the end times is that we think god's just going to just like zoom, like suck us out of here and we're going to go like go be in heaven and this earth is going to be destroyed no god is going to restore this place it's going to be a new Jerusalem that comes, and there's going to be a new 
place where we get to dwell with God here. This restoration that's going to come of heaven and earth meeting together when Christ ushers in his second kingdom, his second coming. Why does he do this? Because our God is a God of restoration. Our God is a God of restoration. Lastly, the restoration of the people. Verse 15. Listen to what verse 15 says. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted. Out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So even though we've read, and you can read in Amos 9, 1 through 10, of the destruction that is coming to the people of Israel, we see God does not leave it in utter destruction. He does not leave them in hopelessness. He destroys to bring complete redemption. He destroys, he tears it down to the studs, and he brings it back, and he rebuilds this home so that the people of God can dwell. And he promises them, listen, I'm going to uproot you. The Assyrians are going to come in, and for the people of Judah, the Babylonians are going to come in, and they're going to take you out of your land. But in that day, in that day, I will give you eternal security. I will plant you in this prosperous land to be ruled by my son, Jesus Christ, the true and rightful king. He promises them eternal security. This is what John 10 through 28 says. Jesus is Jesus speaking. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. But no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Just imagine that. Jesus holding you in his hand. And nothing can snatch you out of his hand. So even in the midst of brokenness, even in the midst of everything all around you that is just going wrong, even in the midst of just those dysfunctional family moments, even when your kids are acting up, even in those moments when the grades aren't good, even in those moments where the money didn't come in, even in those moments where death and sin is all around you, Jesus has you in his hand. And nothing can rip you away from that. Nothing can rip you away from that. In that day, he will root you. And here's the thing, we are rooted in Jesus Christ right now. And we yearn for the day that we will be in his presence. And in that day, we have eternal security. But for now, we must persevere, brothers and sisters. We must cling to Jesus and cling to the hand that holds us so tight that will not let us go. That even when we let go, he still has us. He still has us. I've shared this story many a times, but it's just really dear to my heart this week. Tuesday will be 12 years since I was called to ministry. 12 years. But a part of my story, I've only served in ministry for 10 years, which is crazy. I was telling Thomas the other day, like, I'm like a dinosaur in student ministry. I've been in student ministry for 10 years, y'all. 10 years, and I'm a dinosaur in student ministry, but I'm 27. Like, I got these, like, guys come to me. They're like, hey, can you mentor me? And they're, like, 23, 24. I'm like, dude, I'm not that much older than you, bro. Like, but yes, I would love to pour into you. But Tuesday will be 12 years since I was called to ministry. And I'll never forget being in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And just funny side story, me and my buddies up on this youth trip, we were playing football inside the room. And one of my, one of my buddies went through the bathroom wall. True story, like his foot went into the bathroom from the bedroom. And we did the right thing. We covered it up. We didn't tell anybody. Like, I mean, we, we literally stacked bags in front of it. I don't know what, what we're going to think. Like, no, just stupid teenage stuff. 
And so I, I tell people all the time, like, listen, if my students do what I did to my student pastor when I was a teenager, God bless me, please. And so thank God we have great students. And so anyway, that night, uh, I'll never forget, it was around like 11.54. We were having like this like New Year's Eve like party where and there's like a big worship service and all this. And I just remember God like just whispering to me, you're going into ministry. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. And so I went down front and I prayed, and I remember just sobbing in the floor, saying, God, here I am, send me, you know, until I got back home, my girlfriend broke up with me because she didn't want to date a pastor. And I was like, oh, snap, nope, not doing that. And so what I did was, was like, I told, like, a couple, a handful of people, but then I, like, ran the opposite direction. I let brokenness win me over, and I ran the opposite direction. And nothing frustrated me more. Like, I had my Peter moments where people would come up to me at school who knew that I was called to ministry. People would come up to me at church. And I had this, like, I had this, like family members that they're, that they're in ministry up in Pennsylvania. And every time they would come home, back, like, so how's it going, preacher? And I'd be like, I'm not a stinking preacher. Those people are lame. I'm going to be a nurse. I'm not a nurse, by the way, if you hadn't noticed, okay? <laughs> That's not me. What happened in the midst of that was that even while I was running, Jesus had me in his hand. Jesus had me in his hand, and nothing could remove me from that. And it took me two years of running the opposite direction, of trying to accomplish my own plan, of trying to restore the brokenness inside my own heart to realize, Tyler, you can't do this. Tyler, you can't do this. And what happened in the midst of that brokenness was that God was always faithful to me when I was unfaithful. And here's the thing. Even when you are faithless, in 2 Timothy it tells us, He is faithful. He is faithful to His people, brothers and sisters. The God who changes everything never changes. How beautiful is that? That the God who changes everything never changes so that even in the midst of brokenness even in the midst of confusion he will restore his people y'all probably heard this line in the old testament that i will be their god and they will be my people you've probably heard that said that passage it blew my mind while i was studying this that ha- that that sentence happened seven different times in the old testament seven different times my favorite one is this jeremiah 31 31 through 34 Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. And you can actually read that in Amos 9, 13, same sentence. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. You hear that intimacy language? Though I was their husband, they broke the covenant. The picture is that Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel are this cheating, adulterous wife. That she's not faithful. But listen to what God says. I love it. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. 
from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive the least of them in their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. This blessing, this covenant blessing, this restored covenant, this God who comes to restore his covenant, even though we break it, even though we sin, even though we fall short, it is all rooted in knowing Jesus Christ, the Davidic king who come to reign. It is all rooted in the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because our God is a God of restoration. So you may be asking, so what? What does this all mean to me? I want you to ask yourself these two questions. What if God is destroying the things that I have placed my trust in, so I will place my trust in him? What if God is actually removing the things like he did with me, and like he still does to this day. God will not stand to be, to, for, le, for lesser gods to be worshipped. And I mean little g-gods. He will not stand for idols to be worshipped. He will only stand when he is worshipped. That is the only thing that he can stand is true and rightful worship. What if in the midst of brokenness, we are the, actually the agents of restoration on behalf of the true king? What if on the behalf of the king, we are the ones who bring about restoration? You see, brothers and sisters, God's restoration plan for the world is through Jesus Christ. God will restore his people. He will restore creation through Jesus, the Lord over everything. God will keep his promise to do so. And how does God do this? By us believing and sharing the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we get to see God's kingdom on earth? As the Lord's Prayer says, that when we pray, God, let your kingdom done, be your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we see that happen? When we trust in the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ and we let the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit cleanse us from the inside out and then we go out and we share that gospel. God has desires to dwell among his people and he dwells among us in his spirit. And we get to experience that grace. But how selfish of us if we keep that grace to ourselves. How selfish of me if I did not tell you the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. The truth is is that everyone in this room, we admitted it earlier, is broken. We are all broken. We are all messed up from the flow up. We are all broken. We all need help. We all need that restoration. And here's the thing. It is possible, but not by your own doing, but by the work of Jesus Christ, by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And it is so simple. All you have to do is believe and trust in him. That's it. Believe and trust in him and you will be made new. And that's the gospel that we are meant to share and we can go out and we can participate in this great work of restoration. I was listening to this pastor the other night, and he said this. We as the church must bloody our knees in prayer, soak our face with tears, and share the gospel until our throats are sore, in the hope that God would show our generation a supernatural grace that has scarcely been seen on this side of eternity. This is the beginning of restoration. Brothers and sisters, our God is a God of restoration. He will restore us. He will restore you. He will restore his creation, and his people will be planted there to worship him forever and ever. But on this last Sunday of 2019, 
I have to, I know this because I need it. We all need it. This church needs it. We need restoration. We need restoration. We need to be a people who are so marked by prayer. We need to be a people that are so marked by the brokenness around us that what we do is go to the Lord in prayer. To the only one who can restore us. To the only one who can bring us back to that covenant faithfulness. To the only one who can restore the culture. And it all starts with you. With me. Brothers and sisters, let us bloody our knees in prayer. Let us be, have calluses on our knees, so much so because we pray so much. Let us soak our face with tears of brokenness of the culture around us. And let us share the gospel until our voices are gone. Let us proclaim the glorious truth of the gospel until our voices are gone. As the band comes forward, and we go into this time of invitation, and then we will take communion together. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, we can only be restored in right relationship to God whenever we realize that nothing we do can restore ourselves. Whenever we realize that there is no such thing as covenant faithfulness in and of ourselves, the only covenant faithfulness is in Jesus Christ. So during this time of response, I just want you just to spend some time in prayer. This altar is open. You don't have to come down here to pray, though. You can pray where you're sitting. Pray that God will restore your relationship. Pray that God will, in 2019, in 2020, give you a new, renewed passion for prayer. A new passion in this relationship with Him. And brokenness for the people that are outside of these doors. There are people who are desperately craving restoration. They are desperately craving hope. And we have it for them. Let 2020 be the year that restoration happens and Gadsden is restored to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let it be known that it started here. That it started this last Sunday of 2019. That we at 12th Street started to pray and we started to come forward and we realized that God, we cannot do it ourselves. Let us pray. Father, I just pray that during this time of response, that our hearts will be prepared for the time of communion that we will be taken. God, I pray that all of us will seek the Lord in restoration. That we will seek out to see God's love and mercy and His gospel all around us. Let our hope be restored this morning. God, we are so thankful that you do not leave us hopeless as you did not leave the people of Israel hopeless. You sent them, Jesus. And even though they don't see it now, God, let restoration continue to happen all around the world. Let your gospel be made known. And let it be made known through us to the people of this community and to people all around the world. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.